Life Center, and thank you. Uh, last week, in the, in the last week, uh, over and above your regular giving, uh, you donated $15,726 for backpacks. Uh, yeah. You can absolutely celebrate that. That's an extraordinary, whether you're here or whether you're at home and you engaged, uh, thank you. So not only is every single backpack full uh, that we have to give out, but you went over and above that we get to be a blessing, uh, even beyond what we thought we could do in this season. And so from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. And how many of you know living in a church community or being a part of a church community is equal parts celebratory, and then it's walking through people maybe on mountaintop experiences, but also valley seasons. And I would like to take an opportunity right now to uh, dedicate this whole Sunday and this message to the memory of John Davis. Uh, John Davis is a dear, dear, dear member at Life Center. Uh, a few years ago, he, him and his wife, Nicole, transitioned to our Canada campus, uh, but he passed away on Thursday. And so we want to be praying for the Davis family. The wake is going to be Thursday, this upcoming Thursday at Kelly Funeral Home on Carling Avenue uh, from 5 to 9 p.m. And then the celebration of life is going to take place next Saturday at Life Center, but our Canada campus at 11.30 a.m. So let's all join together and let's pray for the Davis family, for Nicole, uh, for Sean, for the entire family. So Chantal, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just take this moment to honor the legacy of John Davis. Father, we recognize that if we're sitting in a seat at a Life Center campus today, that his hand has been upon it, praying for us, praying for us to experience the fullness of a relationship with you and everything that comes with it. And so, Father, we honor him and his legacy. We thank you for the gift that he was. And, Father, we thank you that he made the wisest investment with everything in his life to trust you as Savior and Lord. And so, Father, as we listen today, may we also have ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray for Nicole. We pray for the entire family. Father, support them in this time of honoring his life, but also mourning his loss. And we do as well. In your name we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Parables is what we're in. And Jesus is on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem, which is significant, when he tells a series of parables. And listening, which is important, it's always important to understand the context in which a conversation is taking place, because if you walk into the middle of a conversation and two people are talking and you, they're not talking about you, and you walk into the middle of it and you make it about you, it's out of context. And so it's important to look at who Jesus is speaking to. And in this space, he is talking to his disciples, and he's also talking to a group of religious leaders. And ultimately, Jesus is talking to them about lordship. And a good way to understand lordship is it is ultimate. It is the thing that is at the highest of our lives. You know, in life, we all experience rejection, but in Christ, that's not the ultimate story of our lives. Each and every one of us experience rejection, but we are accepted by the God of the universe. So we ground our identity in an ultimate or a higher authority, not negating what it is we walk through, but this doesn't have the final story this does. This is the idea of lordship. It's what we put every one of us in a, in, a, in a sense, has a Lord. We have something that is ultimate in our lives. And today's parable, myself, 
As I speak and us as we listen, there are no experts in this one. Every single one of us is on the journey. I will readily confess at the beginning of this message that there are areas in my life where I want Jesus to be Lord, but I go through seasons and circumstances that show that may not be true. And I have to have things dethroned and Jesus enthroned in certain places of my life. And so this is not, a per, this is not an expert giving a speech. This is a fellow follower of Jesus looking at the scripture saying, God, move in our midst. And here's the question when it comes to God moving, is do you, and I'm not talking to anybody, but just you, do you honestly trust that whenever God moves in your life, it is only ever from a loving posture? Do you trust that? Because how you view God is how you'll hear this story. And I pray that you can hear it from the posture of love, not this ooey-gooey, gushy type of love. I'm talking 1 Corinthians 13 in its fullness, love. And so again, Jesus is leading his disciples to be more like him. And I want to remind you that when Jesus is telling his story, the 12 that are sitting in front of him are not fully like Jesus or to the point that they will be. In fact, there is one in his midst, Judas, whose Lord is money. It's very clear in Scripture that this is Judas's Lord. And so as Jesus is telling the story from a posture of love, he is hoping that there would be a, a course correction in the life of Judas. But for the religious leaders, they also have something central, and it's the law. And here is Jesus in the fullness. He's not denying it. He's not excusing it. He's absolutely fulfilling it. But they can't see Jesus because they can only see through the law. And love is speaking to both of them. And so love is going to speak to us today. Again, about lordship, about what's ultimate. I want you to have a picture. I want you to hold a picture in your mind that I'm going to come back to in a few minutes. I want you to imagine that you are hosting a once-in-a-lifetime moment. In my, if I think of this story, I'm going to picture a wedding. You can picture whatever you want to picture. But I want you to imagine that you are hosting a once-in-a-lifetime moment. And you want it captured by the best that your budget can buy photographer. You want to be present in the moment, but you want it captured so that you can relive the moments, so that you can see everything that transpired while you were living in one moment. You want to be seeing everything that is occurring. And so again, you hire the best that you can to capture this moment for you. For me, it's a wedding. For you, you can put whatever picture there. Hold that in your mind. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Now, today's parable is widely known as one of the most puzzling parables that Jesus tells. And there are two central perspectives to this parable. And today, because of time, I'm only going to unpack one of them. Here are the characters in this parable. There's a rich man, and then there's a steward of the rich man's estate. A steward or a manager is a trusted servant who exercises responsibility for the management of all the household goods. This is what's important to understand when Jesus tells the story. The steward acts as an agent for his master. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The heart should be that when the world looks at Christians, they can see Jesus. Sadly, not always so. And so Jesus is telling a story in this context that in the story, the manager, when he acts, he, it's as though he is acting on behalf of the master. He has full authority to transact business on behalf of his master. And the manager in the story, as we're about to know, hear, he knows he's about to be fired. Turn the person beside you and say, that ain't a good feeling. He knows he's about to be fired, and he doesn't wish to do manual labor, nor does he desire to beg for money. 
And so from self-interest, everyone say from self-interest. While he's still manager, he performs a series of favors for others. Now, reciprocity, if we go back 2,000 plus years, reciprocity within Jewish culture was a core value. If you did someone a favor, they were obligated, not just an idea, they were obligated to return the favor to you. And so this manager, this steward, who knows he's about to be fired, begins to take advantage of this opportunity before it's taken away, carefully working the situation to his own advantage. Since the debtors, as we're about to read, would now be obligated to him, his future would be somewhat secure. Let's read the story. Luke 16, 1 to 8. He, Jesus, also said to his disciples, and there's religious leaders listening, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager because you're being wasteful. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm losing my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And then he said to him, Take your bill, sit down, and quickly write 50. Now, if you owe 100 and it gets reduced by 50%, how many you know that's a good deal for you? It's a good deal. And remember, the manager has the full authority. He is acting on behalf of the master. This can't be undone. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, uh, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. The master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. This is the parable. And then Jesus sort of lets it sit. Now what is puzzling is how Jesus seems to commend the manager for his dishonesty. If it ended here, we'd be really puzzled like Jesus is saying, go and do likewise. But he's not. He's not. It, on the surface, it may seem as though Jesus is saying the opposite of what we see in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4, which is, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, everyone say, in humility. humility. Consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It, it may seem as though the manager in the story is operating in a complete different way. And so what is Jesus driving at? Here's what I want you to know. Though complicated, yes. Though different cultures, yes. The scriptures do not contradict themselves. They complete themselves and they complement themselves. So sometimes we need a different or a deeper understanding. Not political spin to pull it in our way. A genuine deeper understanding of what it is that Jesus was saying. So here's Jesus, and he is trying to lead his disciples, but he's also trying to lead the religious leaders. And what he's beginning to do is to contrast what it is to live a life thinking exclusively about earthly issues. What he's beginning to do is to talk to them about what it is to be a son of the world or a son of light. Both sons, both inheritance, both have masters, both following 
someone, or something. Both have something ultimate. And he's beginning to speak to them about it may be shrewd to do things on earth, but you're forgetting about this thing called eternity. In Luke chapter 16, verse 9, he says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd, everyone say more shrewd, in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus recognizes in this moment when he looks around at the world and those who only think earthly are oftentimes more shrewd than those who are called to be sons and daughters of light. Jesus is recognizing what you already know. Just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you're always the wisest one in the room. Doesn't mean you're always the most compassionate one in the room. Doesn't mean that you're the one who acts first. Doesn't mean I have met people who don't know Jesus that are incredibly loving. And I have met people who are followers of Jesus who, I'm not even going to finish the sentence. You already know where I'm going. So Jesus in his parable is actually saying to them, okay, if we only look at life through earthly ways, this is what we can look at. Children of the world live only for the here and now. They can be wise and compassionate and even resourceful to ensure that they set themselves up for the life of their dreams. They, they learn the systems of rewards in the world in which they live that go with their choices. They make plans for themselves and they know how to foster the right relationships to advance themselves or their cause. And he actually says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their dealings within their own generation. They figure it out so they can work it to their advantage. In one instance, again, this is shrewd as each of us can learn life thinking, you know, of others. And in, in, in one instance, Jesus is saying there's, there's some wisdom to be, to be gleaned and be gained from what it is that we're seeing. But the larger question that Jesus is driving at or I guess I should say the correction that Jesus is beginning to bring, in particular to his disciples, but also to the religious leaders, is what happens, what happens to how we live our lives when we begin to in insect or inject, I should say, not insect, because that would be a bug. Inject. What happens when we begin to inject eternal things? What happens when we talk about and honor John's life? There's many things that we can talk about for an earthly perspective. But what about the eternal one? Which one in this moment, when his eyes closed on Thursday, which one was of greater significance? Which one is ultimate in our stories? And so... The word of correction in this parable, I believe, from Jesus' perspective, is, is twofold. In love, Jesus knows and he notices how we use our acquired skills, our natural abilities, our spiritual gifts, our wisdom, our finances, even our life experiences. He, he knows and he notices these things to achieve the life that we desire on earth. But it's interesting because Jesus is also challenging, how can you be so shrewd in one sense, yet so blind in another? 
How can you know how to do all of these things for earthly things, yet not for eternal things? How can you not see that which is greater or grander? How can you not see is a really powerful question. And you think about the life of Jesus. And he heals a man on the Sabbath. And in that moment, a man who was lame or blind is healed. And you would think, you would think, man, what worthy of celebration. But what you fix as your focus, what I fix as my focus, oftentimes gets in the way of what I see. Because there are religious leaders who they can't see. They, they, they see a man was healed. They can see that, and that threatens them. But all they can see is, Jesus, when you said, pick up your mat, that's work, and it's the Sabbath. Come on now. They can only see earthly. They can't see it from a different or a larger perspective. When it comes to being a steward, it's as though Jesus is saying in an instance when it comes to being a steward with all that God has entrusted to us for eternal things, why is it? Why is it that when it comes to your self-interest or my self-interest or the advancement of self or the thought of self, why is it that I can use all of my acquired skills, all of my spiritual gifts, everything for my own benefit, but when it comes to eternal things, those things seem to stop? Why is it that I can cold call for a sale, but I can't share my faith with someone who doesn't know Christ? Why am I so earthly, and I can be shrewd here, but why am I not a greater servant of everything that Jesus has entrusted to me? Jesus is leading us to embrace how the reality, he's, he's, he's leading his disciples, remember, he said to them, follow me. You, you think fishing for fish is good, earthly. And how many know fishing for fish is good? I mean, if you like fish, I happen to not like them. But if you do, enjoy. Fishing for fish is good. You're making a life. You're making a living. But Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll teach you to live a life that is entirely different. Jesus is teaching his disciples that when a woman of ill repute gets thrown at his feet or kneels at his feet and breaks a bottle of really expensive perfume and pours it out as worship, what do you see? Do you see a woman of ill repute or do you see an expression of worship? If you only see things earthly, then you'll just see what is. And Jesus is saying to his followers, see something that is larger. See something that is greater. See a higher calling, a higher destiny. Don't just be shrewd with earthly things. I'm calling you to something that is greater. He's not honoring somebody who is dishonest. What he's actually saying is there's wisdom to be gained with looking at things at this life. But this life isn't all there is. He's leading us to embrace how no matter how young you are or how mature you are, every one of us, if Jesus does not return, all of us will die. Turn to the person inside you and say, what a hopeful word this morning. <laughs> every one of us will die. And when we do, here's what I'm telling you. I don't know. 
John Davis's greatest investment was not only his bank account. That was wise and shrewd if he did some things here. But his greatest investment was trusting in who is ultimate, which is Christ to save his life. When the master settles accounts, it's whom we trust as Savior and as Lord or as leader or as ultimate in our story that is of most significance. Jesus is as though saying to the religious leaders and his disciples that we're all going to run out of vitality. He's saying them in a sense, when it comes to life, we're all going to die. We're all going to get fired. We're all going to experience setbacks. We're all going to experience heartache. We're all going to experience on earth things that just don't go our way. And yeah, there's some shrewd things that you can do. That you can live a life of self-interest and you can live a life of trying to move everything to your own benefit and you can spin everything. Or you can trust that your heavenly father sees and knows and you don't have to do all of those things because you serve the one who can move heaven and earth on your behalf. As today we were singing Jehovah Jireh, my little eyes began to fill up just a little bit, not a lot, just a little bit. And here's why. Because I'm going to be honest with you. If we believed what we sang, we would live differently. I was listening to the words, if he dresses the lilies, how much more does he love me? Well, then why every day do I get up and struggle? Does God love me? Maybe just me. As I was listening, Lord, Lord, you're enough. Then why do I live as though he isn't enough? This is the, the space that Jesus is in love leaning into. Why? Because if earthly things become our master, they will deform us in the way of Christ-like character. Let me bring that story back. Remember that once-in-a-lifetime moment I asked you to hold on to? Okay, now bring it back. Thank you. It's quite interesting. Some of you are like, I've been, that's all I've been thinking about. I haven't heard a word that you just said. I appreciate that. Lori was away for a little bit and then, this weekend, and then she came home. And, you know, she can do nine things and have her attention on nine things, and they all get, like, acknowledged. I can do one thing. So yesterday I was working on something, and she, she began to talk. It wasn't as though, like, we were, she, she wasn't talking. She began to talk, and then she said to me, you're not listening to me. And I said, I had no idea you were even in the room. I had no clue. And I wasn't being facetious. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a joke. She didn't laugh. She didn't find it funny. So I just say that to say, you know, those of you who are like me in this way, you know what? Ladies, have grace for us. We're not as advanced as you. You walk into a room and you sense things. Come on. Come on. Huh? didn't help that there was a gold medal game on. I didn't hear anything. People could have broken into the house. I would have heard nothing yesterday, but nevertheless, that's not related. So here's the story that I was talking about. That's all we got on that one track thing. All that was for that. That meant nothing. So here we are. Okay, so how many of you have a wedding in mind? Can I see your hands, please? How many of you are thinking about a wedding? Come on, come on, come on, come on. How many of you are thinking like a bar mitzvah? Any bar mitzvahs? Any bar? No, okay, sorry. Weddings. Okay, I'm thinking weddings. So you think of that once-in-a-lifetime moment where you hired a photographer. Now, I want you to imagine that that once-in-a-lifetime moment wasn't only good, it was extraordinary. It couldn't have got any better. 
Oh, it could. No, it couldn't in this story. Some of you are so pessimistic, you can't even have this story without crap in it. It was amazing. And the photographer that you hired took a hundred photos from stem to stern of the event. And they are edited exquisitely, perfectly, color corrected to the point, Instagram worthy edits. Okay? So good. You want to talk about likes. You post this, you're an influencer. <laughs> That's how good they were. Only, only, once in a lifetime opportunity, the moment has happened, it's now over, couldn't have gone better. Photos, everything. That, there was one issue, one issue. Everyone just say, one issue is no big deal. Okay, wait, don't, don't say that. Wait till you hear what the issue is. I just led you. It was an IQ question there. Don't just say anything I ask you to say. Don't do it. Here's the issue, okay? Here's the single. It's one issue. Let me see if you think it would be a big deal. Every of the hundred photos that you receive of the event, the only issue is that the photographer tried a new technique, and here was the technique that they chose of your once-in-a-lifetime moment. That's a bug. <laughs> Event. Every photo they took that they edited exquisitely to perfection was a selfie of them. <laughs> How many of you are going to have words with the photographer? How many of you are going to have more than words? <laughs> What's the big deal? You've got the photo? You're in it. Like if I think of the wedding, there's the, the photographer. There, look, at, I'm making the camera sick. There's the, the photographer. You're, you're in the, you may be blurry and in the background, but you're in the photo. How many of you know that you would say to the photographer these words? I think you're incredibly talented and equal parts. Some of you are like dumb, stupid, uh, dead. You're dead. What you are you're dead. You're out of business is what you are. No, what you would say is, I think you captured the essence, but you missed the heart. The day was supposed to be about the bride and the groom. They weren't supposed to be in the background, blurry in every photo. Well, there's the cutting of the cake, and there's the first kiss, and there's a, look at, yeah, I can't see all that because all I can see is you. Here's what Jesus is saying to us as the church. Stop taking selfies. You're the focus of every single picture. This is what he is saying essentially to the religious leaders. That all you can see is the law. You can't see the woman. All you can see is what's here. Stop making your interest the focus, the center. I'm not saying it doesn't have to be in the picture. I'm just saying one of the reasons why the next generation can't see Jesus is because all of us are in the way. 
oh, our political opinions or our this opinions. I'm not saying they don't need to be in the picture. They do. But as long as we insist on being the center and the focus of the story, is it any wonder why the world can't see Jesus? Jesus is not meant just to be in your story, this blurry thing in the back, a book on a shelf, or an app on your phone. Those are good things, but he is meant to be front and center because when he is lifted up, everyone can see. He's the solution. He's what we need. And here's what I want you to know that is greater than this. You're living a one in a lifetime. You don't got any other shot of life after this one ends. It's once in a lifetime that you're living. I'm not a little bit out of breath. I mean, my cardio <laughs> needs to be in the picture, just not the focal point. The heart of following Jesus isn't merely for him or the gospel to be included in our photos, but for him to be the focal point, like a bride and a groom in wedding photos. It's not enough for them just to be present in the photo. They, they need to be profiled. And here, that's what Jesus is driving at. Because what is the one singular thing that the manager in our parable did not do? They did nothing for the master. Everything they did was for their own self-interest. Therefore, I say this lovingly to you and to me. Jesus is in one way saying it's ultimately dishonest when we who are stewards uh, say that we can't return a tithe or we won't spend time in prayer with him or we won't share our faith with others. It isn't that we can't, it's just that we won't. Because when it comes to our self-interest, we will. And when it comes for his glory, we don't. I believe with all of my heart that Canada will experience a revival. But I don't share some of your perspectives on how this revival will come. I don't believe that it will be taking back I believe it will be when the church of Jesus Christ has the humility, for goodness sakes. If going through everything we have gone through as the church hasn't humbled us, what will? If we have the humility not to worry about taking back power that should never have been ours in the first place, but if we are humble enough to decrease, to lay down, this is the way of Jesus and we only will decrease and lay down like John the Baptist if we trust Jaira is more than enough. If he dresses the lilies how much more, in beauty and splendor, how much more will he love you? We will not do it if our self-preservation, we don't, won't do it if we're the center of the story. But we will if we can let Jesus be profiled. If we can let Jesus be center if we can learn to lay things down, if we can learn to humble, like I said last week, and I'll say it again, when the world holds up a mirror to the church and we don't like the reflection, don't criticize the one holding the mirror, 
Let's drop to our knees in repentance and say, God, would you change the picture so that we can look more like you? This, puberty, this is what Jesus is saying. He finishes the story in Luke 16, verses 10 to 13. Some of y'all aren't going to think about selfies in the same way ever again. This afternoon, you'll be like, maybe not. Maybe not today. I mean, I don't want to do that one right now. Some of you are like, "Mm mm-mm, always a good day. (laughs) I don't care. Do whatever you want to do with those things. I'll tell you this, though. I don't do selfies, and here's why. Uh, Well, number one, I'm 49 years old. That's probably a good reason to start, but age isn't really relative of it. Here's why I don't. Uh, Here's why I don't like pictures of myself that I take for myself, because when I look at pictures of myself, here's all that happens. The more I look at myself, the more I see what I don't like more self-critical I become. You say, well, you just have to get healed in that way. Sure, have grace for me then. Luke 16, verses 10 to 13. That was not Bible, not, I mean, nothing. Oh, Carrie, you just appeared. <laughs> oh, and he was faithful in very little is also faithful in much. When he was dishonest in little is also dishonest in much. Notice Jesus now talking about character. What is he essentially saying here now? He takes the parable, he teaches the parable, now he begins to unpack it. He basically says, you're going to be who you're going to be. There's no getting around who you are. There's no getting around who I am. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? Which should lead to the question, what are true riches? Oh, it's cryptocurrency. That's what Jesus meant there. No, he didn't. And if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? And then he simply says, no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Didn't say you can't have both. Both can't be ultimate. Both can't be ultimate. Only one. We are all stewards. The only question is, are we serving God or money, earth or eternity? As stewards, the only real question is, what type of steward are we? Are we self-focused or are we God-honoring? Today, will you be honest enough to admit what is ultimate? Because as good stewards of all that God has given us, remember Philippians 3, 20 to 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him, by the power that enables him, loved ones, that ain't an earthly power. So stop looking for salvation in earthly power structures. Oh, they're important, but they're not ultimate. Even to subject all things to himself. Heavenly Father, in this moment we pray. God, I confess that I find it hard that you want to use all of us or all of me. I find it hard that you want to use all of me and then somehow I consistently make things maybe about me. I find that challenging. I fall short there. Father, as a church, we confess that sometimes we make it difficult for people to see you. Like my neighbor 
who when he looks at the world, more importantly, when he looks at the church, all he can see is politics. He can't see the person of Jesus. God, we confess we got a part to play in this. And so, Father, may we not be shrewd with only earthly things. Yes, may we be wise, compassionate. May we learn how to put away money for our children's children. May we use wisdom on earth. Yes. But ultimately, each one of us is living for a story, that, living for six words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we don't want to be trusted with dollars. We want to be trusted with dreams and destinies. But may we be faithful with whatever you put into our hands. Show us where we're making it about us, where we need to make it about you, whether it's as an individual, a couple, a family, single, or a church. In your name we pray. And everyone said, everyone take a deep breath in and hold it. 